Good morning, family. Great to see you. Grab your Bibles quickly and turn with me to the New Testament book of James. James chapter 2 will be there here in a moment while you're turning. We want to welcome home the 20 plus individuals, students and chaperones who went to Haiti this week. They got in about 1 a.m. this morning and they are, they're here. Can we just welcome them home? So glad, so glad that you're back. We also want to welcome our good friends, the McDougal family. They are here from Lithuania. They're visiting with us. They are our representatives in many ways. We can't all go. They go on our behalf and they share the good news of Jesus. Mike taught this morning in uh, adult Bible classes. Can we just welcome our extended family, the McDougals here this morning as well? Glad you guys are here. Also, our new brother, Declan. Would you all say welcome to our brother, Declan? And I got one more for you. Last week, they were out of town, but they were at the beach. Which, by the way, if you're going to get baptized, that's a great place to do it. My buddy, Gabe Jackson, back here. Would you stand up, Gabe, just real quick. Would you all welcome Gabe to the family? He gave his life to Christ last week. Thank you, buddy. You can sit. All right. You ready? Let's get in this. We're going to dive into the next part in our series, Asking for a Friend. Answers to tough questions from a biblical perspective. After all, the church of Jesus Christ, we are committed to being a place where questions can be asked. It does us no good to pretend like we don't have questions or worse, to tell our kids, don't ask us, ask someone else. And so, during these few weeks, during the summer, we're dealing with some of the big questions that have come up, both in our church, as well as the questions we're asked out in the cultural moments we find ourselves in. And so today, here's the big question. Are you ready? What about the isms? You're all going, that's exactly what I wanted to know about today. What about the isms? No, no, no. What are the isms? Okay, let me, let me do it this way. What about racism, sexism, Ageism, you say, what's that? Like, hey, do we value the old or do we value the young? Have you ever seen that some cultures idolize one over the other? Oh, yeah. Or what about classism? Now, this doesn't mean you know your manners. This means, well, you're of a certain status, socioeconomic status. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's where you grew up. You live on this side of the river, not that side of the river. You live in this neighborhood, not that neighborhood. You have this education, not that education. What about all of the isms? Or to put it this way, show of hands, raise your hand if you agree with this statement. The world is a divided place. Welcome to the question, what about the isms? And by the way, we could make this list much longer, couldn't we? Here's what I want you to know is two things. Number one, this is nothing new. The world has always been divided. Why? Because... Humans are broken because of sin. And when I, as a broken person, look out at the world, I want to feel better about myself. And the way I do it is comparing myself against other broken people. That's number one. Number two, I want you to understand. All of these, while they may look different, actually come from the same core-ism. It's the ism that James, our big brother in the faith, by the way, James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Kids, how would you like to grow up with him as your big brother? You would never be able to do anything right. Your mom would always be like, why can't you be like your big brother? Because he's God, mother, that's why. 
So James comes along and he writes a letter to a new church. By the way, the book of James is one of the very first books, letters written to the church. And he's going to say, it doesn't matter what the ism is, they all have the same core ism problem. And if you'll get this one right, the rest will take care of themselves. How would you like to be a part of a country and a world where all these took care of themselves? How would you like to be a part of a community here in our area where all these take care of themselves? I do. So let's look at the core one. But before I can show you the core one, I need to give you a little context because here's the reality. You're not going to believe me when I tell you that the world has actually been more divided before than it is today. Some of you are going to go, not a chance. This is the worst it's ever been. But our brother James is going to say, let me tell you about the world that I belong to. So if you will, hang with me. This is going to be a fire hydrant amount of information for about, eh, well, I won't even give you minutes. It's going to be a few minutes. Put on your hats, your thinking hats, get ready, because I want to take you back in time to the ism under all the other isms and what James was dealing with. You see, in the ancient Roman world, Rome was the superpower. If you are not under Rome, you are in Rome's sights to become under Rome. And according to a man, a theologian, a historian named Hellerman, he says that there is one word that undergirded and that really defined the ancient Roman world. It's the word status. Everyone say status. The Roman world was one of the most divided places in history to belong to. In fact, we see that it's divided into two sections. The elites and the non-elites. The elites make up only 2%, and there were three different categories of the elites. At the very top, like rungs on a ladder, at the very top were the senators. Everyone say, senators. The senators were the wealthiest, the most well-to-do, the most well-respected. Now, before Jesus' time in the old republic, not Star Wars, but in the old republic, yeah, okay, nerds, in the old republic, some of you are going, I have no idea what he just talked about. Watch a movie. Okay, so in the old republic, the senators had power, legitimate power, but by the time Jesus rolls onto the scene, the senators were really more puppet masters, but they still had influence, they still had money, they still had clout. They were at the top of the top, and there were only about 600 senators. Underneath them were the equestrians. Everyone say, nay. How many of us know what an uh, an equestrian is? Now, today, an equestrian is someone who rides horses, right? An equestrian back then was simply someone who once had enough money to send horses into battle. You were wealthy, so you were an equestrian. Now, there was a third category called the decurions. They were simply low-level leaders within the Roman Empire. Not the highest, but they were all a part of the elite. There were about a thousand, or there were thousands of equestrians and thousands of decurions, but altogether only 2%. Now, everyone else was part of the 98% called the vulgus. Everyone say vulgus. That's where we get our word vulgar, the unwashed masses, the dirty. If you were not the elite, you were the dirty, and you were either a free person, meaning you weren't a slave, or you were a slave. Both groups made up the rest of the Roman Empire and the Roman citizenry. And here's what's interesting. You could be a slave and a citizen of Rome. You say, how does that work? Very simply, you were a citizen who went into debt You sold yourself into slavery for a period of time to pay back your debt. So slave or free, 98% of the Roman world was divided under the elites. America, the world today, 
has nothing on the Roman Empire when it comes to division, church. That should give us great hope for what we're about to read. In fact, there was an ancient um, uh, writer who made this statement about the division. He said this, next slide, he says, The existence of inferiors is good for the superiors. Why? For it enables them to point out those they are superior over. Isn't that great? It's like, we need you so we know how much better we are than all of you. And the rest of the Roman Empire was organized. The life of a Roman was organized around reinforcing this belief. Let's talk through a few of them. Your clothing actually was a way of reinforcing who was better and who was worse. Can you imagine that there once was a culture that would value some people based on the clothing they wore. You could have a clothing that has the name of a person and you were seen as more important than someone else who has the exact same shirt without the name of the person. That's absurd. Can you imagine such a vain culture? But their clothing. You say, well, like what, Josh? Well, like, first off, the toga. The toga, virilis, was the most basic toga How many of you know what a toga is, by the way? Have you seen one before? Okay, a toga. Very difficult to wear, but prized to wear because only Roman citizens could wear a toga. Not a citizen? You could not legally wear a toga if you were not a citizen. The toga virilis, viril, that's where we get the word viril from, manliness. By the way, the toga virilis, if this means manly, what gender was not allowed to wear a toga? The women. So now, not only do we have differences when it comes to status relationally, but gender as well. Isn't that an interesting thing? There's another group. The the equestrians I told you about, they, by law, were permitted to wear a gold ring. It was a status of their symbol. But if you were not an equestrian, you were not legally allowed to wear a gold ring. In fact, because it was such a status symbol, they became known as the honor of the gold ring. Isn't that interesting? And and I, I love this. James, in all of his brilliance, is, is trying to help us understand this. In fact, some of the details that you see now are going to find their way into the text. That's why I'm showing you this. There's a third item. This one is called the toga candita. Everyone say candita. Sounds Spanish to me. Candita. Arriba, right? But if you were an equestrian and you wanted to go from equestrian status to senator status, you would wear this pure white toga as a symbol of the purity of your character. They divided themselves and showed their status based on clothing. They also did it based on where you sat in social gatherings. Did you know that you could gather, go ahead, next slide, you could gather or seat at different places based on your status. Now, in our culture, in our world, you pay enough, you can sit pretty much anywhere, can't you? Go to a sporting event or a concert, because that's what shows where you are. It's the money you spend. But not so in their day. In their day, it was all about honor. Whoever was the best, the brightest, the most beautiful got to sit in the front. By the way, in the church today, we do the same thing, except instead of sitting in the front, we come early to sit where, church? In the back. That's the seat of honor, right? In fact, in this world, people would gather. I mean, we do this today. I mean, here's Jay-Z and Beyonce sitting on the front row because they're of a high status in our culture, and, and he looks like he'd rather be sitting anywhere but right there in this picture. But it wasn't just them. Go, to the next, go back to one slide. It wasn't just them. This was such a radical idea about people sitting in places based on status that throughout the scriptures you see it play out. There's a story, Bible scholars, where two of the disciples of Jesus, James and John, come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, when you come into your glory, when you show up and the kingdom of heaven is here, would you let us sit at your right hand 
and at your left hand. Now, what's so important about that? If you threw a party, you as the host were the most honored person there. But the second most honored person, the one you wanted to be there the most, you'd have them sit at your right-hand side as the guest of honor. The second second most honored would sit at your left. So James and John, the friends of Jesus, when they ask, let us sit at your right and your left, they are saying, we want a place of honor. It's not about being able to talk to Jesus more easily. No wonder the rest of the disciples got mad and felt frustrated because now they have to argue over who gets to sit in seats 4 through 12. There's not enough honor. It wasn't just where they sat. It wasn't just the clothing. The legal system itself was built around reinforcing status. Now, in America, we have laws that we aspirationally want to make sure that everyone is treated equally under the law, that the law is no respecter of persons. Now, we don't always get that right, but that's at least aspirationally what we want. In the ancient world, they didn't even try. If you were of a high status, you had a certain set of rules, but everyone else had a different set of rules. For instance, if you committed a heinous crime, you might just be exiled, sent away, but if you were of lower status, committing the same crime, you could be executed. There's a story of a wealthy man named Servilius who is traveling through and he looks over and he sees a trial. And there's a young man who is on trial and he knows the man. So Servilius comes up and says, I would like to take the stand. Now he was not a part of the trial, but because he was of a certain status, they said, well, of course. So he takes the stand and he says this, I do not know why he is on trial, but I know him. And a few weeks ago, As I was traveling through town, I came to a narrow space, and he came to the same narrow space. But instead of him getting off of his animal and letting me go through first, he did it. He went through first. So, while I don't know why he is on trial, I want you to find him guilty. And they did. In other words, if you were of a certain status, some rules for you, but not for others. In fact, they had this punishment, certain ones that were only for certain people. Did you know there were certain punishments only allowed to non-Roman citizens? Here's one for you. Crucifixion. If you were found to be guilty of a heinous crime and not a Roman citizen, you could be crucified. Now, if you were a Roman citizen, by law, you were not allowed to be crucified. The Persians started it, but the Romans mastered it. It was not simply a symbol that you were punished because you did something wrong. It was to dehumanize you and to despise you. It was for this reason. Crucifixion became known as the slave's punishment. This is the world that James writes the words we're about to read. And he says, your world, our world, this world is divided in all the isms. We're better. No, you're better. No, they're better. All the isms. And he says, this may be normal in the world, But it is not the standard for those who follow Jesus. Because Jesus comes onto the scene, this God-man, and he is put to death with a slave's punishment. And this crazy little group of people gather around them, and instead of saying the one we celebrate is the greatest or the most famous, they worship, we worship a man who died a slave's death 
So we should expect the way we live to look differently as well. And so now, let's look to the text. James chapter 2 in verse 1. I want you to see the ism under all the other isms. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show... What's that word? Say it one more time real loud and proud, church. Favoritism. That is the ism under every other ism. You say, really? Favoritism? How so? Well, he's going to play it out for us here over the next couple of moments. But here's the reason he says his favoritism, treating people according to their rank, according to their status, which tells you about their worth, was the way of life in the ancient world, but it is not the way of life for those in the body of Christ. James says this is not okay in this new little community. Why not? Because God does not show favoritism. There is no favoritism with God. Now, this was such a revolutionary idea. You'll see it having to be repeated multiple times through the New Testament because people are going, wait, but that's how everything was. And the writers of the New Testament say, yes, but that's not how things now are. If you're in Christ, you've become new. And the old standard no longer applies. So it's repeated in Colossians, Ephesians, and in Acts. For there is no favoritism with God. He does not say you are valuable, but you are not valuable. In fact, the founding document of this country says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all human beings are created equal. But that was not self-evident to Caesar or the senators or the equestrians or the decurions or even the freemen or slaves. But in this family, in this movement, that becomes the self-evident evident standard by which we all live and love one another. In fact, this was so uncommon that when James says no favoritism, he actually has to make up a word because in their culture, favoritism was just the norm. So why would you have a word about the norm? So he comes up with a word and he says this, Jesus people, put this up, Jesus people must not Turn their faces up to people. That's what the word favoritism means. It means to, I value you, I despise you. We do not do this. We do this. For all are created in the image of God. And so now, James says, let me be very practical, because this is sort of an idea. Let's put some skin and bones on. He says, suppose, in verse 2, he says, suppose a man comes into your meeting. Now, pay attention to the details based on what I just told you about their culture. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring. Remember the gold ring? And fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Now, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, because of course they will, and say, here's a good seat for you. That's what seats are for, to show who's valuable and who's not. But say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit on the floor by my feet. Of course they're going to do that. That's what they were taught and trained to do. He says, have you not, notice this word, discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Isn't it interesting? We often think of favoritism as a bland, vanilla kind of, maybe it's not even a sin. Maybe it's just sort of a, eh. But he says, when you hear the word discrimination, it's the biblical idea of favoritism. Where you're saying you're valuable because of an external I can see, because of the wealth you have, the education you have, the little extra honorifics at the end of your name, because of the color of your skin, because of your gender, 
because of your upbringing, because of these things, you are valuable. And if you don't have these, then you are not as valuable as everyone else. And he says, when you do this, you become a judge saying you're valuable and you're not. And he says that is an evil thought and action. And so favoritism and discrimination are the same thing. He says it is showing a person or group greater value than another person or group. That's all this means. Simple understanding. You're valuable, but you are not. Now, interestingly enough, when he says, suppose a man comes into your gathering wearing a gold ring, he's talking about, we think, the, uh, the equestrian. And he's wearing white robe. Maybe it's an equestrian trying to become a senator. He's wearing the candita toga. Now, what's interesting is that little word, gold ring, is one that they would not have understood the way we do as well. And so he's trying to put a finer point. In, and so he's like, well, those guys who, um, well, they've got the gold ring on the finger. It's, it's, oh, I know. And by the way, this is the literal translation. He says, suppose a man or a gold-fingered man, gold finger. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Anyone else think that'd be a great James Bond villain right there? Someone wealthy who's powerful, whose goal is to dominate. Suppose Goldfinger comes into your gathering and Bond, James, not that James Bond, he says, the only way to overcome this kind of action is through the bond of love. That's terrible. Okay, we'll move on. But suppose this happens. How do you respond? How do you respond? Is it possible, even in the church of Jesus Christ, to show favoritism to some people and not others? Hey, I'm just as human in here as I am out there, family. And what I live with internally will spill out of me no matter the room I find myself in. And James says, although that is common in the world, it must never, never find its way into the family of God because we do not worship and celebrate one who elevated himself, but as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, we celebrate and worship the God-man who came, who emptied himself, made himself nothing, but came in the very form or appearance or likeness of a human, taking on all that we have and made himself obedient, humbling himself on death, to death, even on a cross, a slave's death. That's who we worship. That's who we elevate is Jesus. And if Jesus does not make distinctions between this person and that, how can those who follow Jesus do it? If Jesus did not discriminate against you and me, then how can we discriminate against one another and just others? But he goes on. He says, when you do this, it is evil. Now, by the way, I think we do this in a lot of different ways. I saw a really great illustration of this some time ago. I thought, oh, this is too, too good. There's a story. Leave this slide down for just a moment. No, no, put it back, put it back. Okay, we'll come back to that. There's a, there's a news article. Yeah, no reveals yet. There's a news article a few years ago. There was a family that had a little dish that their cat would sleep in. They were doing a yard sale. Any of you ever do a yard sale? Let's see some hands. Really? Am I the only one? Okay. So they did a yard sale, and they said, well, just a little bowl. They put the bowl out to be sold, put a few dollars for sale, no one bought it. So then they post it online for a few bucks. Something strange began to happen. People began to bid for it. It went not for five or twenty or fifty or a hundred dollars. Now thousands of dollars, ten thousand, twenty, fifty thousand. This little dish that their cat slept in 
went for over 100,000, put this up, U.S. dollars. Why? It wasn't just some bowl. It was a bowl from the Chinese Ming dynasty. Basically, when you hear Ming, think cha-ching. It was expensive. And they had been letting their cat sleep in it. A cat, not even a dog, was sleeping in this bowl, right? Yeah, I'm as shocked as you are. Do not email me. I'm joking. All right. There's another story. This one I think is apocryphal, not real, but I I love the illustration. There's a man who goes into an antique store one day, and there he sees, sitting on the ground, is a peculiar little bowl. Again, it's a Ming Dynasty bowl. But there's milk in it, and there's a cat drinking milk from this little bowl. And he's going, oh my goodness. The owner has no idea what he has before him. And so the man thinks, well, I'd like that, but I'm not about to tell him what he has. So he hatched a plan. So he comes to the owner and says, excuse me, sir. I see you have this fine cat, very fine cat. I'd like to own your cat. Can I buy your cat? The owner goes, no, the cat's not for sale. He goes, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $500 for your cat. How about that? And the owner's like, sure, 500 bucks. You can have the cat. And then the man very sort of slyly goes, oh, and by the way, I, I probably need a dish to serve some milk out of. I'll give you 50 bucks for that little dish right there. And the owner goes, that dish? He goes, yeah, that dish. He goes, I, no, I can't do that. That dish is a bowl from the Ming Dynasty, and it is worth more than anything else in this room. And then he says, but the strangest thing has happened. Ever since I started putting milk in this bowl, I have sold 17 cats. But isn't it true that we use people? We see them as valuable only if we get something from them. We tend to barter or trade for the value of another. We see people stratified. We go, you're here, you're here, you're here. And it doesn't matter if it's because of skin color or gender or because of where you were born or your education. The bend of the heart is to do with others what that man was doing with the dish. And James says that is not okay. In fact, James puts such a sharp point on it. He says, this is no small matter. This is a big deal. Friends, discrimination is a big deal to God. You say, how do we know that? Look at the next few verses. Beginning in verse 8, he says this. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, what is the royal law, church, by the way? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who said that? Isn't it cool that Jesus' younger brother is now quoting his big brother? If you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But notice what he's about to say, and this one smacks Josh where I live. I mean, this hits me. But if you show favoritism, you, what's that next word, church? You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now, notice the argument he makes. For whoever keeps all of the law or the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of the laws. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Here's what he's saying. So you say to yourself, I've never murdered. Or I have never committed adultery, so I must be good with God. Yet James says, watch out. Because if you discriminate against someone else, put them at a different place because of an external you see as less valuable. You are still a lawbreaker because if you break one law, you break the entirety of God's law. You go from righteous to unrighteous.
righteous. This is a big deal to God. You move from one category to the other. And it's so easy to justify, isn't it? To say, well, I don't do this big sin. I just value some people over others. And God will say, how dare you sit in judgment on someone that I died for. And someone that I love and created in my image. And I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about agreeing with everyone's position. I'm not saying we must endorse every action or behavior. Of course not. Jesus doesn't do that. What I am saying is we do not devalue people just because they are different or look different than us in some way. Do we call all people to righteousness? Of course. But that's different from devaluing them as intrinsically made in the image of God. And James makes this very interesting thing. I think a lot of us want to say, yeah, but I don't do that version of discrimination. I, I, I don't, I'm not racist. Or I'm not sexist. Maybe I'm a little classist. You know, I have sort of, I want to hang with those who look like me in this one area. Maybe that's it. But that's not a big deal. I want you to see something. This is so interesting. Go back to verse 1. Notice the word there that he uses, favoritism. If you highlight things in your Bible, I would encourage you to circle that word and put to the side this word, plural. Favoritism accurately translated is not do not show favoritism singular but favoritisms plural what's he trying to say he's trying to say that just like baskin robbins has 31 flavors of ice cream and they're all ice cream discrimination has 31 plus flavors and they're all discrimination just because we call it different or divide differently it is still not okay so let's just get real practical and real awkward and uncomfortable are you ready here we go let's talk politics for a moment some of you are like okay i hear my kids calling me i'm going <laughs> but let's just be honest if you are republican do you give greater honor to republicans or to democrats church come on let's be honest where do we tend to honor people people who are like us republicans if you're democrat who do you tend to honor more well democrats Let's talk about race for a moment here. If I'm, as a white guy, honoring other people because they are white guys like me, is that okay, church? The answer is no, by the way. Is it okay if me, as a white guy, is it okay for me to honor others because they're white? No, that's not okay. Likewise, if you're not a white person and you show greater value to one color than another, is that okay either? No. Let's talk about gender. Is it okay for me, as a man, to value men more than women, church? No. Ladies, is it okay for you to value women more than men? Absolutely, because you're awesome. No, 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 right? No. Scripture is uniform about this. There may be differences among people. I get that. I'm not trying to flatten everything. And that's not my point. My point is that though, when we treat people differently based on any one of those things, Scripture says that is a sin. It's not a vanilla sin. If you break this law, it's as though you've broken any or every other law before God, this should cause us to be very circumspect and think deeply about how we treat one another. Amen? And so where do we go with all this? Let me, let me make a few more people uncomfortable here. What about wealth? Have you ever seen people value people based on their income level? Some of us, it's like, man, you make this, I'm going to cozy up to you. Or you live on that side of the river or this side of the river. You are somebody. Or how about this? For some of us, maybe, maybe you're not cozying up to the people with more, but rather your people are the people with less. And so is it possible also to discriminate against the 1%? Do you see how this cuts all directions? Or what about this, education? Have we ever seen people divide over education? Have we ever seen people say, well, because I'm public school, 
or I'm private school and I go to this particular private school, or I'm homeschool, this is greater value, this is less. Have we ever seen that in the church? What am I trying to say? Before we begin to say this does not apply to me, we need to, as the followers of Jesus, say two things. One, I need to be thoughtful. And number two, this must not be the way the church of Jesus Christ ever, ever acts. And I want to commend you. I love this church. We're not a perfect church because, because I'm here. Okay? By the way, a friend of mine used to say, Diggs, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there. Because you'll ruin it. Because you are not perfect. I just want you to understand, this is not a perfect church, but it's a good church. But I heard a friend once say, there's some churches that are guard dog churches. Have you ever heard of a guard dog church? Let's do it this way. Have you ever heard of a guard dog? How do guard dogs treat those inside the family? (laughs) Right? Happy dog. How do they treat those outside of the family? They snarl. They try to keep back. May we never be a church. May we never be a church that values some and not others. So, Josh, what do we do about this? I want you to see this. He says the royal law. We're going to finish up here. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Who is the first person to love his neighbor as himself? Jesus Christ comes, and in John 1, it says that he set up house right there with us, meaning that he became our neighbor He entered into our spaces, and he said, I love you. How much do I love you? I love you this much. I will die for you. Yeah, but what have I done to earn your love? He says, absolutely nothing. You were made, though, in the image of my Father, and because of that, I will give all that I have to be united with you forever. The royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus Christ was willing to inconvenience himself. He was willing to underestimate himself. He was willing to lower himself so that those who are far from God may be close to God, and so that the church that now loves him would be more like him. Write this down. Here's what you need to hear. Jesus was not favored, but, put this up, Jesus favored me, and he favored you. Why do we do this? It's because Jesus, although we did not favor him, we discriminated against Jesus. He did not discriminate against you and me. And so here's the way that the posture of the Christian ought to be. You need to remember that just as Jesus favors me, he is absolutely, absolutely crazy about you. He loves you. I don't know what you've been told. I don't know who has told it to you, but you need to hear me this morning. Whatever place you find yourself in life, you are made in the image of God Almighty here for a purpose. He loves you. If you do not yet know Jesus Christ, his call to you is come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest but if you're in christ never begin to forget don't start to think that your value is based on what you do you are in the family of god because of god not because of what you've done you are forgiven by god not because of what you've done but because of god you are infinitely valuable god is crazy about you and god is crazy about the person you're not crazy about he loves them too So as a family of God, may we examine ourselves. And I love what was said during communion. May we examine ourselves. Who do I tend to push at arm's length? And those that I draw in, God, forgive that. Forgive that in me. Let me see people as you see them. May we be a church as we are today, but grow in the grace of welcoming and loving one another and others. So that when the world looks at us, they do not see division. But they see the very presence of God. 
of the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that when I was lost, when my friends in this room were lost, you didn't despise us, but you rescued us. You came down to the mud. You not only got in the mud, you, but you pushed us out, taking the very blame that was ours, a slave's punishment, so that we may be called not slaves, but sons and daughters of the Most High God. I pray that you will forgive me of my sin when I treat people differently because of something external. I pray that you'll forgive my brothers and sisters in here. And I pray that you'll give us sensitive hearts and eyes to see when we're tempted to categorize people. And in those moments, would you remind us that there's really only two categories, those who have been saved and those who you want to save. May we be people who welcome all and show them Jesus so that you may be famous in our day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all those who greet said... Amen.